Hey, kids, what time is it? Time for another episode of Brio TV, the podcast. I'm your host, Bill Brio. Today's show is brought to you by three terrific sponsors, Hollywood Suite, Super Channel, and CTV. Well, welcome again to what should be a real treat for fans of the early days of The Tonight Show and the history of late night television in general. Once again, we're going to go back into the vault or truthfully into the box of old cassette tapes in my basement to find a couple of interviews recorded back when I was a young and innocent reporter at the Canadian edition of TV Guide magazine. On this episode, you're going to hear interviews I've never shared before with the first two hosts of NBC's Tonight Show, two true TV Hall of Famers, Steve Allen and Jack Parr. Steve Allen was the original host of The Tonight Show when it was launched nationally in 1954. Together with NBC programmer Fritz Weaver, he generally is credited with pioneering the basic mechanics of the late-night genre, the desk, the couch, the opening monologue, the celebrity guests, and even the house band, in his case, led by Skitch Henderson. Gene Rayburn, many will remember as the host of Match Game, was Alan's announcer. I was at TV Guide magazine when I interviewed Alan in 1992. The occasion was the announcement that Jay Leno would be taking over The Tonight Show from Johnny Carson, leaving David Letterman to launch his own late-night talk show on CBS. Alan, as you'll hear, basically says that Letterman will do just fine because... Hosting a late-night talk show is the easiest job in the world. Remember, however, that Alan only hosted tonight for two and a half years, although it was for 105 minutes a night back in the mid-50s. He also didn't do the Monday and Tuesday shows that final season. Guest host Ernie Kovacs, another legend of 50s TV, took over on those nights. Alan featured an in-house group of musical guests, including Andy Williams, Steve Lawrence, and Edie Gourmet. Comedians Louis Nye and Jonathan Winters were featured, especially on Man in the Street segments. Later, when Alan had his own primetime series, Don Knotts, Tom Poston, and Pat Harrington Jr. joined Nye as very popular regulars. Alan did stunts such as dressing up with tea bags and getting dunked in a tank. Much of that energy was echoed years later on Letterman's late night show. When I got the assignment to talk to Alan, I called up his office and spoke with his wife, actress jane meadows i was told at one point that there would be a fee for the interview i explained tv guide doesn't pay fees not even tv guide canada not even in canadian dollars i offered to plug whatever book alan had written that week and when he wasn't writing thousands of songs alan wrote and had published close to 50 books that was apparently enough to land the 10 minutes i spent with alan on the phone steve allen died at 78 in 2000 Here's that interview from 1992. Hello. Hello, Mr. Allen. Hi, my name's Bill Brio. I'm just calling from TV Guide Canada in Toronto. Yes. I just had a couple of questions uh, about uh, the upcoming David Letterman 10th anniversary special. And, uh, All right. I wondered if you might have a, a few minutes to talk a bit about happy that. To re- happy to respond to your questions, yeah. Great. Well, thank you. Um, obviously, uh, Letterman acknowledges you as a as pretty much as a inspiration and, and mentor for for his style and I guess. Yes, I, I by the way, so I'll know how fast you're slow to move my mouth. Um, are we taping? As I hope. Yes, is that sure. all right? Uh, yeah, I much prefer it. Great. 
the other day I did an interview without taping and uh, <laughs> what came out was very new, much news to me. <laughs> so hooray for tape. Great. Anyway, to get back on the track, I've always appreciated uh, David's uh, kindness and fairness in, in uh, acknowledging that uh, I've been told he used to watch every night when he was going to college uh, a show I was doing of that same sort in the early 60s, 62, 63, 64. Mm -hmm. And I don't know where I picked up the information, but I might have read it someplace. Uh, he said, boy, I'd like to get into television, and if I ever do, I'd like to do a show like that. Mm -hmm. So I understand he got in uh, doing weatherman work and eventually is doing a show like that. It's nice of him to uh, mention my name in that connection. Mm -hmm. But I think I've seen clips, in fact, where, you, where you're being... Uh uh, dunked into uh, vats of water and, and and similar kind of stunts. That, yeah, uh, his his staff, I guess, must be of an age where they can remember a lot of the actual routines uh, that we did on our show, and uh, they've just uh, repeated them. That's great. What do you what do you see as the main difference between uh, Letterman's late night show and uh, your own? Uh, well, I don't see much except the personalities of the two hosts, uh, and that's neither to, to praise nor blame either of us, but we're we're quite different. Mm -hmm. uh, other than that, I don't see any particular uh, difference. Mm -hmm. the, um, the emphasis on comedy was uh, much stronger uh, during uh, uh, my uh, 13 years of, of talk show duty. Mm -hmm. It was indeed a talk show, and it was the first of its kind, but it, the, the primary emphasis was, as I say, on, uh, on comedy. Mm -hmm. that there's been a, a, some articles recently on uh, the Letterman show suggesting that Perhaps the ironic style of uh, comedy is uh, something that was better suited to the 80s, that uh, sort of the age of irony is is over. Would you agree with that, or do you think that's I, true at all? I don't really know. Uh, my own approach had nothing to do with it, the factor of irony. I, we did satire on my mm -hmm. shows, as well as my, sure. my primetime scripted comedy shows. Mm -hmm. But... Uh, I don't really, I'd have to give that some thought, so this answer doesn't add up to much for you, I guess. Mm -hmm. I guess it's just sort of, there was an article in Esquire suggesting, you know, it's a kinder, gentler uh, society, and that uh, Letterman's, you know, sometimes uh, flippant style doesn't... Yes. Uh, I, I would hope that that is true, and, and I would say this had David never been born, there's nothing really directly to do with him. Mm -hmm. um, I, however, do not so evaluate society myself, uh, at present, mm -hmm. as a matter of fact, it seems to me daily to become a more cruel, more harsh, uh, more vindictive, more litigious, uh, and more unstable. Hmm. So uh, I don't know who wrote the piece in Esquire, but I would much prefer that he be right and I be wrong. <laughs> um, do you watch much uh, late night uh, television? As a matter of fact, no. Um, it's not that I disdain it. It's just that I'm usually asleep by about 11 o'clock. Right. And uh, when I uh, am able to stay up late, it's often to watch the, uh, whatever Ted Koppel might be doing. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I probably haven't seen the Tonight Show in its entirety. Uh, oh, God, maybe in six months. And I, unfortunately, I, I'm missing what I'm sure a lot of very good uh, Letterman broadcasts. But as I say, I'm asleep. Right. Um, do um I was going to ask, uh, well, you yourself obviously originated the Tonight Show and, mm -hmm. uh, and that whole format. Um, 
and um, uh, did that for a certain number of years. Did you find the time that you left the Tonight Show that uh, you, you know you'd had enough? It was time to leave. Uh, no, that had nothing to do with it. Uh, doing talk show duty is is very close to the easiest job that humans have ever devised. <laughs> there, there are many jobs which are difficult, and uh, mm-hmm. being a journalist it, it requires its own rigor and hard work. As you know, and uh, driving a truck and working the coal mine, working in an emergency ward, we could all list hundreds and hundreds of jobs, right. which are terribly stressful, sometimes low-paying and, and rough duty. Mm-hmm. But my God, all talk show hosts ought to get up out of bed in the morning and look up at the sky and say, thank you, O universe, for letting me sneak on by one more day. <laughs> They're all stealing money. They see the talk show host to television is analogous to the disc jockey in radio. Hmm, that's interesting, yeah. Uh, I, I, mean, I mean, that is a very precise analogy. I, mm-hmm. I, I can't think of anything that, that makes more sense in the, in the field of analogy, anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, in other words, it's not strained or far-fetched. It, it's very neat once you perceive it. Um, some talk show hosts have talent and have had talent. Uh, Johnny Carson, for example, is a professional comedian. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jay Leno is a very witty professional comedian. So that would be just two instances. I'm not going to run down the whole list of all 36 talk show people, but you can do that at your own leisure. Sure. And if you do look at the whole long list, you'll realize that very few of them have only have talent. I would say maybe we're talking about five or six people. Wow. The others, the other 30 or so, uh, are terrific at hosting talk shows. But my point is that assignment does not require talent. <laughs> I'm using the word talent, of course, in the traditional theatrical sense in which it's been used for centuries. Mm-hmm. When you say your nephew is really talented, you mean he plays the violin well, or he's awfully witty, or he has a beautiful singing voice, or he's a marvelous actor in the college play or something. Mm-hmm. We all know what the word means. Instead of the like talent agent or... or What's say Instead of... It's been used now as an adjective, like talent agent or things like that, which... Uh, well, well, no, that, that's a perfectly legitimate term. A talent agent is someone who represents somebody with talent. Right. Nobody ever said the agent had talent. <laughs> the agent has his ability. Right. A, a dentist, in other words, has a very necessary ability. My God, the world would be in terrible shape without dentists. But nobody would ever say a dentist has talent mm-hmm. unless, in addition to being an agent, he also plays the best trombone in Pennsylvania or right. whatever. Mm-hmm. So we all know what talent means. Mm-hmm. And uh, that having been clarified, the talk show hosts, most of them have none whatever. And that's no more a criticism of them than it is a saying uh, of all the lieutenant governors in the United States, none of them have any talent either. Of course they don't. It is, it's an irrelevant consideration. Mm-hmm. So uh, anyway, so much for that, that assignment. So th- to get back to your original question, why did I leave the show? Um, I left it for a much better deal and a much more important assignment. Mm-hmm. Because the Tonight Show was uh, almost right from the start became an institution, partly because in those days it had no real competition, right? Um, and because, as I say, all you have to do is all I had to do is ninety minutes work a night. Most folks have to work eight hours. <laughs> Wouldn't you love to only have to put in an hour and a half every day and then go home? Sure. So what are talk shows complaining about? I, I, in all honesty, I don't. I've never heard many of them complain. Mm-hmm. They know they got a good deal. So uh, because that was a success, the network NBC asked me to do a much more important prime time comedy series at 8 o'clock Sunday nights. Mm -hmm. They asked me to do that because they had never been able to make a dent against uh, the Ed Sullivan show, which was on CBS. Right. And uh, so I I accepted that offer and and did a show uh, for the next four years, which won all sorts of awards and Mm -hmm. 
every six or seven weeks beat Sullivan in the ratings, which was enough to keep NBC happy. I guess so. So, um, although most of the time, obviously, I'd have the higher rating. Mm -hmm. But uh, I thought I could do both of those shows, and for a while I did, mm -hmm. because, as I say, during The Tonight Show, you could do that in your sleep. But the other one turned out to be a lot of work. We were actually doing the equivalent of putting together a, a Broadway-level of quality musical comedy review in five or six days. Wow. There, there have been some actual Broadway reviews, which took two years to put together and still closed on opening night. Right. But we, by God, were doing it week after week. And I, I'm not using the editorial we, but I mean our marvelous gang on that mm -hmm. show. Yeah. So uh, after a few weeks, I realized something was going to have to give. So, of course, it had to be The Tonight Show, because all late-night shows have a very small audience. Uh, sometimes you couldn't tell that if you came here from another planet <laughs> and looked at the media coverage and the magazine covers. But America basically goes to bed by about 10.30 or 11. Right. And just a few million people are left up, and they see these shows and enjoy them and love them. There are probably are 10 times as many people watch uh, Roseanne. Yeah, exactly. As... At 8 o'clock Sunday night, I had 35 million people watching me, and at night, I probably had about 3.5 million. Right. And because of that one factor, the, the money was enormous on Sunday night compared to what I was getting on The Tonight Show. Hmm. So since I had to give one up, that's why I gave up The Tonight Show. Makes sense. Great. Well, uh, the other thing, uh, just there's been a lot of speculation lately that uh, David Letterman is sort of at a crossroads, that it's 10 years and that he is being wooed by ABC to go to, uh, to perhaps launch a show there or, or do something else. Uh, uh, if, if he were to come to you for advice, what would you tell him? I would say, David, show up at work every day, keep a smile on your face, and uh, thank God you got the job. <laughs> uh, but if, if advice were that simple, psychoanalysis would take one afternoon. So. <laughs> um, but I really think it would be very sound advice. Mm -hmm. um, what else is he going to do? He's not going to do a primetime comedy show. He'll just hope to get some other talk show someplace. Right. And I can understand his disappointment in not being chosen to host The Tonight Show. Mm-hmm. But he still has one of the easiest jobs in the world. He's being paid wheelbarrows full of money. <laughs> He's got an easy gig, and he should thank his lucky stars. Great. Well, that's great. I just wanted to chat briefly about that, and uh, it's been a privilege talking with you. Thank you very much My for My pleasure. I like Send me a copy of your piece when you write it. I will do. Thanks so much. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. Well, that's it with Steve Allen. Hope you enjoyed that. After this short break, I'll be back with another legend of late night, Allen's Tonight Show successor, Jack Parr. Emily Gagne, good to see you again. What do you got for us this summer at Hollywood Suite? Well, Bill, I'm happy to report we'll be taking you out of this world with sci-fi and fantasy films playing on our channels and on demand all through July and August. That's pretty cool. What uh, what are some of the titles? We've got everything from Barbarella to Barb Wire, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure to Scott Pilgrim versus the World. We've got interstellar selections for all corners of the galaxy. Barbarella to Barb Wire. 
that's the perfect slogan. I know. I, you know what? Sometimes I'm good, Bill. I don't know. <laughs> it's like I'm in marketing or something. It, it is like you're in marketing. Yeah. What? And you got something else coming up later in the summer? Yes. Yes. We got something for actually the bookworms. Uh, we've got this new series called Cinema A to Z. And basically, we explore a film topic down to the letter, like we, as we like to say. So um, the first episode of this is called Books on Film. And so we'll go through different authors that have been adapted for the screen from A to Z. So the A, Austin, of course. Find your movie favorites from A to Z all this month on Hollywood Suite. Now, next, we have a 1997 interview I did with Jack Parr, the man who succeeded Steve Allen as host of The Tonight Show. Parr was a witty man who was not above taking the occasional shot at others. He once quipped that he was, quote, fond of Steve Allen, but not as much as he is. You'll hear on this interview, however, that Parr was also pretty fond of Jack Parr. Another Steve Allen zinger was that Allen claimed to have written 4,000 songs. Said Parr, name two. Parr, who died in 2004 at 85, was being saluted with a PBS American Masters tribute when I caught up with him in 1997. He was a wonderful listener and conversationalist and enjoyed a stable of regular guests, including Zsa Zsa Gabor, Cliff Arquette, who some might remember as Charlie Weaver from Hollywood Squares, Genevieve, Hans Conried, Hermione Gingold, Oscar Levant, and Dodie Goodman. The careers of up-and-comers Carol Burnett, Woody Allen, and Liza Minnelli also gained a boost through par. He also made headlines by doing his show from Berlin as that wall went up, going to Cuba and talking to Fidel Castro, and bantering with the likes of Albert Schweitzer, Billy Graham, and Richard Nixon. Often seen as thin-skinned, he was also known for his feuds with other stars, including TV rival Ed Sullivan and columnists Dorothy Kilgallen and Walter Winchell. Park could be emotional on air, and viewers could not turn away because they never knew which par they were going to get that night. He mentions other favorite guests in this interview, such as Peter Ustinov, and has some interesting comments on what he saw as the lack of taste in television in the late 90s. Here he is again in 1997, Mr. Jack Parr. Jack Parr, what do you want to know? Oh, thanks for taking time for an interview. No, no, what, that's my job. I got to do it. <laughs> I appreciate it. Yeah. I, well, you dug out from all the snow? Well, we, no, we, we've had it very light here, you know. Oh, good. Oh, we've had almost, uh, we, we've almost had no winter. Oh, uh, you're, you're very fortunate. Then. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah, I bought little, all stuff I bought, you know, four-wheel drive and all that stuff. Didn't need any of it. Oh, well. But anyhow, that, uh, yeah, what do you want to know about, have you seen the, have you, I, I saw, a, I guess, about a half-hour clip reel of, uh, Oh, well, yeah, well, well, that, that, that isn't the show. I mean, that, that's something that I think they showed the press. The real show, I just saw a couple of minutes of it. We're processing the sound and stuff. It, it's, uh. Well, I shouldn't say this. I don't know how what else to say. It's it's really most unusual. Well, you, I, I, the 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 stuff I saw was fabulous. I'm yeah. dying to see the rest of it. Well, the thing is, it, it will make sense to you now because it, it's in the context of a biography. In other words, it starts with my little when I was a kid and yeah. my radio days, and then the very important stuff in the army that I did, and uh, and then the Hollywood. Yeah, 
but it tells a story about my daughter and my wife. So uh, I'm very, uh, I'm very pleased and very, very high on it. I think it's going to do well. I think, it'll, I think it'll do well. Well, that's great. I was catching up a bit. I read the that great article by Sidney Carroll. Um, yeah. Well, I owe everything to him. Really? Oh, without the army, <laughs> excuse me, Bill. Uh, without the army, without my enlisting, going in the army. I say this on the show, mm-hmm. and then meeting Sidney Carroll, the war correspondent in the South Pacific. Oh, I never would have. Made it. It, it. it all happened because of the army. And then I add Elsa Maxwell because she then gave my career a boost when I came back because she's such a freakish woman or a strange <laughs> lady that it caught on. It caught, caught such comment that I was on my way right away. You know, that doesn't mean I didn't have ups and downs. I had many, you know, I was dropped and picked up and I walked off for a lot of shows, but, 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 uh, but here I am. Well, good for you. Uh, I just had a few questions to follow up. The, anything, any ask anything. All right. Well, uh, there was uh, along with uh, the other information in, in the press material I got. There was a Q and A, I guess, from an, uh, a press conference you did last January. Well, that was a dumb thing. That was uh, I tell you about that. That was a satellite done from here. Oh. I was supposed to fly out there and and be at this big meeting of all the correspondents, uh, editors, and uh, you must know the rest of the story is that I've had a heart attack and. And, uh, something called arrhythmia. I have an une- an unnatural, uneven heartbeat, right. and I must be on constant medication. Yeah. So it so happened that just about that time, I, I for some reason I got forgive me a terrible diuretic condition, mm-hmm. a- and the danger there is that the diarrhea washes away uh, the, the very medicine I need for my heart. Right. So then I couldn't go. So from Stamford, where I am now, Connecticut, where I live, you know, I live in Grand. It was a... 15 minutes from here uh, they, they, they made a satellite well that's fine no I just there was one uh, what was the question that, that, that I wanted to uh, that just jumped out at me I couldn't believe it and that was you mentioned that the show of course was an hour and 45 minutes and that you had two writers yes that's right that's astonishing yeah well on, on this other show on, the, on on this current show I think it's been edited out for time where you know we started with 90 hours of my material I have 90 hours of stuff wow. and uh Paul Keyes, who was a associate producer and a writer with me all my career. He says on the show that Leto has 13 writers and that uh, Letterman. Letterman has 13 writers. And he said, and we had 13 writers. He said two on staff and the other 11 were, were Jack, <laughs> which is a nice thing. That's what he said. Yeah, that, that, that's what I had. Well, it's, yeah. You know, it's amazing. Well, you must uh, be bowled over when you see an Emmy Award show and then the, the award for Letterman or whoever, and then there's Army yeah. of People come to the stage. Yeah. Uh, that, to do such a long show with two writers, so there was a, a fair bit of uh, ad-libbing, as you suggest, every night. Well, and, and the writers that I worked with, were all, when, uh, I, I, some of the top people in the business started with me. I'll, I'll name some. Larry Gelbart. Well, uh, uh, David... Uh, Jesus Christ! I, 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 do you ever have a thing where you black out on the same name All over and over? Yeah, well, it's the same name. And mind you, this boy was my next door neighbor. <laughs> okay, and I discovered him by I was preening the bushes one day, and there he was when really? I got to his side. His mother had told me that he was coming home from the navy and that he wanted to be a writer. Wow! His name is uh, Jesus, isn't it, David? Uh, he, he wrote there. He. He, he was with me for years, but then he left and, and wrote that marvelous thing on Mary Tyler Moore, you know, with the clown at the oh, funeral. Oh, the clown. Yeah, okay, yeah. I'll look it up. 
Well, well, David, uh, man, I, 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 I always want to say, isn't this funny? This is my next door neighbor, for you. Uh, but I have this blackout on certain things. Uh, well, all right, Gary Marshall worked for me. John Douglas, okay. Uh, well, we, well, you want all our names, but endless, yeah. No, all of the writers that I had when I had them, we worked on the on the uh, on the monologue. That was all. Nearly that was, and then from then on, I would uh, I, it was ad lib. Almost complete because we didn't we, uh, sketches. I'm not good in sketches. I, I, I don't think that way. Mm-hmm. And funny costumes don't work for me so much. So I, I didn't get into that. All of our work would go into that eight minutes of monologue or nine minutes. Then the rest was ad lib. And I never had more than two, sometimes three. Because I had the great Jack Douglas. I had wonderful, wonderful, witty guys around me. Yeah. We'll be back with more memories of Jack Parr in just a moment. I'm here with one of the teams who have entered this year's Amazing Race Canada. Sir, what do you call your team? Uh, We're called One Directionally Challenged. Okay, and your name? I'm Pat. And I'm Dave. I'm sure you guys are familiar with Amazing Race. Oh, it's one of my favorite hymns. Amazing Race. Uh, No, no, I'm referring to CTV's Amazing Race Canada. It's on Tuesday nights on CTV, and your team could win $250,000. Dave, that's almost a quarter of a million. Oh, we're ready to start. I hope we're not late. We've been at Pearson for five hours. Were you held up at customs? No, we were held up in the parking lot. We entered the competition because we know Canada really well. Yeah, we've been down east following that trail that uh, Cabot left. Then we went north and went shopping at Hudson's Bay. Uh, Will you go further north? No, we'll have none of it. And then uh, we hopped on a Cessna, flew into Quebec, and landed alongside the Plains of Abraham. Then we drove to Ontario to the Parliament buildings to see the Ottawa Senators. And from there, we're going to rent an RV and drive to Winnebago, Manitoba. And from there, we'll stampede into Calgary. And then we'll drive to the mountains. I bet you they'll be rocky. That's where we'll be seeing you. And we'll be seeing you on starting July 5th, The Amazing Race Canada, Season 8 on CTV. And now, back in the vault for more of my 1997 interview with Jack Parr. It was great. Well, and also it was interesting how you were describing that uh, you wanted the uh, the feel of the show at the taping to be casual. and Well, that's what's wrong with what's happening now, you right. see. Because it started that way live, 11.15 to 1 mm-hmm. at night, uh, I kept that attitude that we're, we talked softly. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, references that you're in bed, and I had all kinds of funny things I'd say about you're in bed watching or in your den. Now they're taping these shows at 30 in the afternoon yeah. with an audience full of kids or people wearing babushkas and jockstraps. You know, it has lost its meaning. You know that on my show that was set on the tickets, jackets and tie require, uh, requ- requested. Really? Never, never was done on any other show. So that, I wanted to keep it sophisticated. I don't, I don't mean smart-ass, elitist kind of thing. Right. I wanted it to be like, well, like us, middle class, mm-hmm. uh, not economically, but middle, middle intellectual up. You know, uh, I I do I wouldn't do any rock music. I wouldn't do any uh, uh, 
uh, a, a low humor. Uh, yeah. And, 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 and no press agents booked my show. I did it myself. Wow. No press agents were allowed anywhere near me. And we never put anyone on because they had a book or a thing or a thing. That wasn't important. The point was, who are they? What did they say? What did they stand for? What would they possibly do on, on my show? How and things have changed. And the most embarrassing thing was, one day, one night, actually, a young man came back my age with a beard and a press agent. And he said, uh, they said, uh, we have a show on Broadway that's not doing well. What would you do to help him? And I naively said, well, gee whiz, I don't know. This show has caught on and I got to be careful who I put on. I mean, what would you do? What would you say? I, I don't never heard of you. Well, it was Peter Houston, uh, who's probably one of, one of the great raconteurs, along with right. uh, along with David Niven and 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 uh, yeah, and somebody uh, else, Peter King, and all those. Yeah, people. see, so that was kind of funny. But that's that's how we did the show. You had to have something to say or stand for. Then once I knew you, then then I never never had to go through any uh, interviews and that that pre bullshit that goes on. Right. Yeah. If you were hosting a show today, who of uh, the current stars, uh, is there anybody who... Nobody. Would... Zero. I mean, I, I, I'm overdoing this and being dramatic for, for your effect. Right. Uh, name name somebody like LeVant or uh, Oscar right. or, or, or the, my wonderful English friends, Robert Morley or Malcolm Mugridge. <laughs> name one today. No, I now, can't. Now, well, listen, they maybe exist, mm -hmm. but the guys who are doing the shows wouldn't put them on. I happen to know, I'm not, I don't want to get into the guys because they're friends of mine, but I happen to know that one of the two top ones that you know who I'm talking about, one of the two, uh, wouldn't put Houston up on because he, he wouldn't know what to ask him. Oh. You see, that's what happened. It isn't, I, I'm not saying that necessarily that my time had these great racketeers, although I believe they did. We found them. We sought them out. Now it's just one movie star, one a sitcom star after yeah. another and yeah. all promoting something yeah um do you watch any of the late night talk? no no i don't although i'm very careful what i say because they're uh see i'm very fond of dave and uh, we used to live near each other and play tennis and stuff uh, leno i don't know as well well letterman was quoted as saying that the, the first late night show he saw was yours and that Everything that Jack was, boom, it went right through the camera. And, uh, and, and I noticed watching Letterman, he, he reminds me more and more of, of you, I think. Really? Yeah. Because he used to be Steve Allen. He was exactly. Steve, but now uh, he's more Jack Parr. Oh, I, 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 know he, uh, I know he has said, you see, my, my, one of my closest friends is, is Hal Gurney, who was the director, director. Yeah. was for 30 years with me. However, he did do, he, he's responsible for whatever is good about Letterman, plus his own talent right. uh, that's why Dave hired him when I quit uh, and Letterman came up then he hired Hal and Hal and I worked on it and incidentally Hal is on the show all through the show yeah, I saw a clip. Telling, telling stories about me or whatever yeah it's great um, the other thing just about that the way the show was put together that strikes me today that they have the air conditioning cranked up it's like a, a refrigerator i guess uh, yeah it's funny how that the emphasis today is more on keeping everybody awake yeah. and you wanted everybody's like, nice yeah. and quiet well another thing they do is terrible in my view is that they have a, an mc some kind of a double entendre guy with sexy jokes who does the warm-up right. screaming and yelling and boo and now boom and that's how the show goes now that kind of show does not belong it's at 11 30 
at night. Right. All we had was Hugh Downs walk out very quietly and talk to the audience. I didn't want anyone to do anything screamingly funny or ask them to applaud or scream or yell. And they're doing just the opposite today, so I have no interest in it. Are you ever amazed at that career longevity of, of Hugh Downs? Uh, I mean, well, he's a wonderful fellow. He and I are very close. Well, we I don't see him much anymore. Geographically, we're not near each other, but uh, we've had five years uh, every night uh, under the most trying, uh, controversial conditions, and he uh, being different politically. And I mean, we're, we're, we're quite opposites in many ways. We never had a crossword, and I'm very, very fond of him. Is it true? There was a famous quote about. Uh, ask uh, Hugh Downs what time it is, and oh yes, well, yeah, that was one of the lines. He, yeah, he tells you how to make a watch. Yeah. <laughs> well, he was perfect for me because uh, the things that I know little about astronomy and things like that, he knew a great deal about, and things that I knew about but didn't have the scientific language. In other words, I wouldn't uh, know about amperes and wattage as, as, as Hugh could probably. I knew I knew what it was, but I didn't have the words for it. Right. And he was like a dictionary or thesaurus next to me. No, I'm very fond of him. I was fond of all my people. Jose Mellis was in the army with me. Played or he played the organ at our wedding. Wow. Yeah. You mentioned Oscar Levant. Was he? I guess the most unforgettable guest among them. Well, he was a great problem. You know, he was he was on drugs and things, and uh, you're, you're, you often would end the show. Good night, Oscar Levant. Oh, oh yeah, well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, he was. Uh, he was a very witty guy, uh, but he was he was very difficult to handle. But we, we, we yeah, he had a lot to do uh, to helping me too. Yeah, he, he see people just, people found in my work something outray, something different, something unusual, and uh, and Oscar would fit that. You know, you never knew what he was going to do. Um, you mentioned you have ninety hours that you're using uh, to yeah. highlight here. Uh, are those how are they preserved? Were these your comments? Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> NBC has destroyed everything of mine, and they have nothing now. They're, well, that was a terrible thing they did, but I, but I understood it. And for legal reasons, on my own show, that was the Friday night show, which I owned, which was three years. Right. For legal reasons, I had to have a kinescope made for, for lawsuits and things. Oh. So that is what these shows consist of. There's very little left of the original Tonight Show. So those five years are all wiped out. Yeah. Oh, my God. Absolutely. There's just, well, there's a few things uh, that you'll see in this show. We we act like it's from all one show. Actually, it's mostly the Friday night show. And and uh, so the clips of Kennedy and, and Nixon and things. They well, no, that would be the Tonight Show. Oh, yeah. So there are some. Sort of oh, yeah, yeah. There are some. Yeah, yeah. I just didn't, you know, out of the two hours, you know, two hours isn't enough. We asked for more time. Yeah. They wanted me to add some things. They said, but you didn't mention. Uh, <laughs> oh, you didn't mention Castro. Didn't mention Dr. Schweitzer. You didn't mention. Yeah. And why don't you cut something and put it in? And I just said. I'll be glad to do anything you say. Just give me 20 more minutes. Well, that ended the discussion there because we already got two hours, and that's very unusual. Do you find it ironic, the whole thing about Castro? I mean, in, in Toronto, where I'm calling from, I can go and buy a Cuban cigar down yeah. the street, and it, you know it's still going on in the yeah. States. Uh, it seems so odd. Yeah, I think it's. Uh, I don't think we handle that well, but I, I have to be careful getting into that. Okay. Yeah, but uh, yes, well, you know, I, I, I'm, a, I'm one of the original cigar smokers. I've smoked cigars since I was 18. Oh, good for you. And, 
I know tobacco and my greatest, my birthday's coming up and other things. And all my friends know that if you want to buy something, you know, get good cigars. And they're, and of course, the best cigars now are the Davidoffs, which we have in our, they're legal and they're the best you can buy legally. Uh-huh. But you know what a cigar like that costs? No. Uh, well, uh, not that I smoke them, but the best cigars are around eighteen dollars. Wow! But I, I smoke cigars around ten. Ten. And I don't smoke many. Mm-hmm. Maybe one a day, or after dinner, or after lunch. I do. Yeah. We'll be back with more memories of Jack Parr in just a moment. This summer, why not try Super Channel, premium entertainment at its finest? Enjoy four diverse and dynamic channels, plus Super Channel On Demand. So what are these four channels? Okay, first, Super Channel Fuse. Premium programming, including exclusive series, movies, and documentaries, all uncut and commercial-free. Super Channel Heart and Home. Feel-good series and movies for everyone. TV you can trust with shows you'll love. Super Channel Vault, specially curated fan favorites and critically acclaimed movies. Also, Jinx Esports TV Canada, Canada's only 24-hour esports channel featuring live events, news, and gaming lifestyle programming from around the world. Super Channel is available with most cable providers across the country, as well as streaming on Amazon Prime Video channels and Apple TV+. And now, back in the vault for more of my 1997 interview with Jack Parr. The big controversy when you walked off the show, yeah. uh, obviously, is such a famous moment. Um, yeah. Did did the, when you returned a few weeks later? Did they finally allow you to tell that joke? No, you, you, it, it'll all be explained in that show. You see, when will they? Uh, I, I explain exactly what happened. It's rather a long story. No, no, uh, that's why I walked off because yeah. because they didn't allow me to rerun it after they had told me that a it is not obscene and I was too sensitive and I have to get over it and they love me and I was a big hit and this and that, but I'm much too sensitive and I have to get over this. That was their answer when I said, I want to run this tonight mm-hmm. and show. And it'll end the issue because all over the country they were saying obscenity. And uh, when Mr. Kittner, who was, I was very fond of, I, I mean, I had wonderful relations with the network, unlike what you think about or you heard. And I, I'm to blame for that in a way. I kind of played up the you know, the bad boys kind of thing. Actually, it wasn't true. At the top level, Sardoff and Kittner, we were very close. And they were wonderful to me, except in this instance, they said, Jack, look, it was a corporate decision. It was made. We cannot undo a corporate decision. People think you run the network. Now, Jack, just forget it and go on. And Well, that's when I said, I'll walk. And that's what, yeah, that's what I did. It must strike you as uh, incredible that the amount of... <clears throat> The, the scatological jokes that are told uh, night after night after yeah. night on, on the show. Well, not only should there be... Now, here I am, a, a, a famous instant, uh, probably the most famous instant uh, of TV censorship that became famous. I mean, I guess you would say I'm, I guess, the most famous one. And, and here is an innocent story. But I actually now have come to the conclusion that some form of censorship 
is necessary. And not only necessary, it's a problem of taste. For instance, the letter, the uh, the Seinfeld show, which I think is just wonderful. I mean, it's my favorite. I, I, I'm amazed how good that show is. Yeah. I love it. I, well, I I can't say enough good. <laughs> However, it is it is frequently tasteless. Right. He is hung up on the word vomit, and I don't know what. Now that's not a censorship thing. That's a question of taste, yeah. and he lacks it. And so does another show I love called. Uh, I have a two, two, two or three shows I watch. Uh, that about you? Or? Isn't that funny? Now, isn't that funny? Yeah. Yeah, mad about you. Occasionally, they, they're so charming and so natural and so real. The dialogue is wonderful. And then they'll do some obscene thing like how to have sex with a pregnant woman and you get on top of her. And I say, it's not censorship, but it's a matter of taste. Right. Now, that's one thing I did have, I believe, mm-hmm. it was I, I did have taste. Absolutely. Uh, There's this new show, Politically Incorrect. Uh, yeah, I've seen parts. See, it's, I've seen it sometimes. Do you think this at least raises the, there's a little more, a debate on that show or a little you see I suppose I think sometimes it's tasteless too yeah. whether people he has on he puts freakish people on you know and then then they're there to do freakish things and then they do and it's not censorship it's tasteless yeah yeah that's true well and you originally are you from Buffalo no not actually I was born in Jack in Canton Ohio and I was raised in Jackson Michigan that's where I started in radio and then I went to Cleveland and I was there for five years, and and then just before the army, I went went to Buffalo and was being groomed as a young morning comedian, and uh, so I was in Buffalo. Yes. And did you ever perform in Canada much? Or no, I didn't. And I've never been to Toronto, but I've been to Montreal several times, and I'm very fond of Montreal. But I just I've always wanted to come to Toronto, but I just. It, 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 it just never happened, you know? Yeah. But, of course, when I was in Detroit, I was over in Windsor, but, you know, you don't count that, I suppose. Oh, no, that counts. That's, that's for that's Well, I'd be over that bridge a lot. When I was a kid, I was only, like, 10 years old. That's great. Yeah. Uh, and just funny that the all those tapes, this night show, you mentioned that they... NBC destroyed them. When did they do that? Uh, was it back in the 60s or, or uh, recently or, or how long ago? Well, uh, the first two and a half years, there was no tape, so they couldn't have oh, done it. I got it. See, the first two and a half years. Then when they went to tape, tape was then three inches wide. Wow. And an hour and 45 minutes would be, if you would take your arms, both arms, which you're holding the phone now, and put them way out, it would be a donut the size, maybe almost two and a half, three feet across. Now, reasonably, See, I could scream and yell. They've, they've taken my best work. I know that they couldn't save everything of everybody. I know that. That's reasonable, you right. see. However, what I do feel badly about, and I have told them, when we knew we had this problem of storage, they said, well, pick 12 of your best shows and we will save them in the archives forever. Right. Well, we picked them. But they never saved them. Oh, yeah. no. No, they never saved them. That's tragic. And then, of course, the management's come and go. I could, well, you know, I've gone to NBC twice, and they wouldn't let me in. They didn't know who I was. Oh, no. Oh, yes, absolutely. absolutely. Oh, man. The day of the show. Well, I've done shows about it. Oh. Yeah. As a matter of fact, honest to God, you won't believe this, but I wouldn't make up something. Someday I'll show it. I, if I do another show, I'll probably show it. I was asked at the, uh, the anniversary show. I forget the 20th or what the hell it was. And I had to go out there in a uh, black tie and my wife was dressed and they flew us out I didn't really want to do it but it was their anniversary and so we were all to come and uh, 
I got out of the car that they sent for me and in Burbank, which I've never been in. See, I worked out of Sunset. That's where I, Sunset oh, and Vine. Right. So I didn't know where to go. And you know that I said, I'm Jack Parr. Where do I go? And they said, get in line. And I said, I don't think I belong in that line because it was just people with sweatshirts and stuff on. Honest to God, it's no, there's no crap about it. I ended up in the, in the uh, audience of, 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 Wheel of Fortune. Oh, no. You're, and that's where I met Sajak. And we began, yeah, I had to get Sajak to get me the hell out of there. Oh, well. And, and I have done a show that shows that, actually, where Sajak says it's absolutely true. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Well, uh, it, does it astound you that it's been 40 years since you, you first Yes. You see, I, I, I'm in a strange position in that <clears throat> I work nearly, well, I have been working day after day after day in front of my equipment at home. I have all video stuff at home. So I see myself, and actually I live at, the, at that moment. And only in the morning when I shave do I realize that, oh, no, this is it. <laughs> Le left alone, I would say that the Tonight Show was like five, six years ago. Yeah. Wow. Because you see, everything that happened, I have on tape. And I see it over and over again. So uh, I would, if you if you shake me and wake me up in the night, I would probably tell you that it was Tonight Show was six seven years ago. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and are, are you ever? Are we going to see you on uh, anything else like a no, Seinfeld no, or a Mad no, About You? No, no, are you, no, you no. offered these kind of things? No, no, they know that I won't. I think the reason that there's been such interest in me, which is amazing, you know, last month. The Museum of Broadcasting had what they called a gala, their annual gala, and they picked the whoever can draw a crowd. Well, I was picked, and one thousand people at a thousand dollars a plate wow. filled the filled the ballroom. Wow. So that started it. The next thing was Vanity Fair came and said they're going to start something called Hall of Fame. When would I be in it? Now I'm going to tell you. Then this came, and now I'm being I'm on the phones all day long talking to the press, and they want this and that. I'm on the cover of TV Guide and the New York Times, and endless. However, now I'll give you the thing: I never won an Emmy. Really? Never. For all, and you, when you see all my work, as you'll see it on these shows, you'll wonder why I've never Boy, wanted I can't believe it. It's well, I, did, I never wanted it. Of course, neither did Gleason, a lot of people. That's true, but I mean, you, you are. I'm, like, well, I contributed, uh, yeah, I contributed so much to the, yeah. as you'll see, uh, my stuff wasn't all jokes and funny stuff. You know, I... I, I spent a week with Dr. Schweitzer in Africa. I had to go by canoe. I uh, I was uh, in in in. Uh, I went to New Guinea and uh, in a little boat for ten days. Found the guy who saved Jack Kennedy's life, the little native with the canoe, wow. and did a show about that. Uh, I've, do I've done shows in Russia. I've done shows in. Uh, China. Uh, I go to England twice a year and do a week there. Uh, and why did you stop doing them? I mean, they, oh, I had enough. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't need that. Well, and my my overall point was, and once I quit, I quit. So I became kind of a legend, but a mystery. And that's why there's that interest in me today. If I had gone on and done all these shows and and, and milked it like uh, well, some other people I know that have done, uh, there would be this interest. There is an interest. I must admit to you. Uh, obvious uh, every day uh it's because i i've never i never did commercials i wouldn't appear and things like that because i had known what is the point of me being on in a commercial i don't need the money not that i have any but i but i well i have enough to live you know i live very well but but i'm not i'm not at all rich for instance letterman and leno make more money in a month than i made in a year wow yeah Incredible. My daughter's a lawyer. I think she makes more than I made when I was on The Tonight Show. That's 
that's amazing. Well, so you and Garbo, I guess. Kind yeah. Of. Well, I uh, I took up uh, uh, skiing and tennis, and now when I got hurt, then I then I paint. And no, I'm very happy. I'm a very happy guy. Well, I guess I'm just being a bit selfish. I, I'm I'm about to turn forty. I and oh, Jesus. I I missed uh, sure of course these shows, and I would have loved to. Have, well, you see them. You know, I, I'm dying to see them, but I have a, f- a friend who's a bit, a bit older who, who never missed one, and, oh. and it was the most uh, riveting television he ever saw. Oh, that's uh, nice. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, a, it's a thrill yeah. to be able to, to yeah. uh, talk to you, and uh, yeah. really looking forward to the well, show. Well, I hope you get a copy soon. Thank you. Because uh, they're, they're right now, they're, I just came through the studio. Oh, great. Okay. And they're... Uh, they're, they're they're fixing the sound. You know, a lot of these old kinescopes have a hiss, and so there there there's ways of eliminating that. And there's, some of this stuff is thirty thirty five years old, but it looks like yesterday. A lot, a lot of Charlie Weaver, a lot of uh... no, not so much of that. Oh. Not in this particular show. The the, the the PBS wanted certain specific things more or less, and uh, uh, the story no. that Richard Burton told on the tape I that's on was fabulous. That's on. <laughs> that's in the show. Yeah. It was so relaxed and yeah. fascinating, and I guess that's obviously a good example. Well, you also notice, unlike most of the guys today, I was also a great listener. Yeah, well, that was the other thing I wanted uh, to ask you. Yeah. It seems to be the, the great distinction between your work and, and a lot of hosts today is yeah. that they made their guests look good. Uh, was this something you were conscious of, or it just happened? Uh, just again, what I told you earlier, taste. Just a, just a sense of taste and what's proper and what's right. And uh, I only went to the 10th grade, but, wow. but I've had of marvelous education, uh, self-taught actually, but I've been, but I've always been around very intelligent, sophisticated, nice, good people, and I, I th- that was my education, and I picked up how you are to behave and, and talk and act, and yeah, and then I'm a family man, you know, my life is my daughter and my wife and my dogs and all that. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Well, well, thank you for all. Okay, this morning. thank you. I look forward to seeing the show. Good. I ho- ho- hope you like it. Oh, I'm sure I will. Thank you, Mr. Bye bye. Bye. Well, I hope you enjoyed those out-of-the-vault interview segments with uh, Steve Allen and Jack Parr. I hadn't heard them myself in 25 and 30 years. Back when those interviews were conducted, I didn't ask Allen or Parr to name their favorite all-time TV theme song, so I'll go out on a limb now and guess that Allen's was This Could Be the Start of Something, a song he wrote back in 1954 as part of a production called The Bachelor. Starting in 1956, the song, usually referred to as This Could Be the Start of Something Big, replaced the original opening theme to Alan's Tonight Show. It was later used on Alan's subsequent talk and variety shows, some of which were syndicated right into the 70s. Over the years, the song was covered by many recording artists, including Count Basie, Tony Bennett, Bobby Darin, Aretha Franklin, Judy Garland, Oscar Peterson, and a one or a two times even Lawrence Welk. Thanks, as always, to Phil Hong for producing this podcast. I'd also like to single out Katie Brio for designing the main Brio TV site. I'm grateful as well to all the amazing publicists for arranging these interviews. Thanks to our sponsors, and yes, thanks to you for listening. If you enjoyed this conversation, please spread the word with a like or a review. And remember, you can always catch up on TV news and reviews daily at Brio.tv. I'm Bill Brio. Thanks for listening.